G'day, Darren Mitchell here. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. I thought I would just jump in with another little introduction to another phenomenal interview. I had Doug C. Brown on the podcast about a month ago, and we talked specifically about the inner sales voice and uh, had such a fantastic conversation with him that I asked him back, and uh, we continued the conversation today. So we talked about a lot about the labels we give, the meaning we make, uh, give things, the meaning we are meaning-making machines. Also, he shares some wonderful stories about uh, how he got into what he does right now, and uh, particularly how he met Harvey McKay, but also the great Tony Robbins. So if you listen to the end, please stay to the end because there is an opportunity for you that Doug is going to give you access to an ebook that he's just about putting the finishing touches to that is around being a non-stop 1% sales earner. It will be a paid ebook, uh, just putting the finishing touches, as I said, to that. But to the listeners of this particular podcast, he's going to give you a copy absolutely free. So um, listen to the end. There'll be some details. There's also details in the show notes. So uh, please do yourself a favor. Listen to the end. It's got lots and lots of gold within this particular episode. And uh, you can get your hands on what is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal book. So uh, strap in, listen tight, take some notes, and most importantly, implement the key points that you take away from this episode. So I trust you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed having it. So without further ado, let's get into the interview part two with Doug C. Brown. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. This is Darren Mitchell, and welcome back for a second time all the way from the United States of America, Mr. Doug C. Brown. How are you, my friend? I'm so good here. Thanks, Darren. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very well. We're just talking um, just before you press record. We've got uh, daughters around about the same age, and your daughter, Rebecca, is getting her wisdom teeth out tomorrow. So um, yes. interesting time. I, you know, I wanted to look up the reason why they call them wisdom teeth. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I don't know, because I got mine out when I was 16. And uh, yeah, some people say I'm not wise at all, but I like to think I'm wise <laughs> in certain areas. But what what is, I've, I've never actually, I might ask somebody, my, my daughter's becoming a doctor, so I might ask her, what does what does wisdom teeth actually mean? I, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious too. I I think I had mine out when I was 17. And when they <clears throat> pulled my wisdom teeth out, they pulled two permanent teeth out in the front oh, as wow. well, two eye teeth. So later on in life, I had to have those uh, replaced and a bunch of other teeth ground down because of it. I mean, I, I remember because the bill was like 22,000 US dollars and this oh. was like 30 years ago or something. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So Unbelievable. So, uh, hey, there's there's a lesson there for for kids that are listening to this. Not that there might necessarily be kids. Always look after your teeth because you never know. You never uh, know. without question. Because it's no fun getting them back in. I can tell no, you that. Absolutely. So, Doug, um, look, really looking forward to having another conversation with you. Uh, we spoke probably just over a month ago now. I think I think it was, and we yes. we were talking about the inner sales voice and and, and how the conversations we have with ourselves uh, lends lends itself to the actions we take and ultimately the results that we get. And we're also touching on what it takes to become one of the top 1% earners in, in sales. 
Um, there's so much I wanted to explore today, which we didn't get to last time, including your experience with Tony Robbins and and certainly your experiences in uh, selling equipment to music, some some big musical rock bands that world yeah. that most people would would know. Um, but I wanted to start with um, had some great feedback from the previous conversation. Um, Love to know anything, anything that was top of mind over the last sort of four weeks around uh, what's been happening in your world over there, particularly around the the inner sales voice conversations you've been having with your clients. Because I just want to make a bit of a transition from what we were talking about into this into this conversation. So, what what's been top of mind for you in the work that you've been doing over the last four or so weeks? Well, regarding regarding the inner sales mind, if you will, um, it's it's interesting we're bringing this up. I just <clears throat> just had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who we worked together 14 years ago at Tony Robbins company. And he was uh, a one percent earner then. And we, we talked about how, when your inner guidance system or your inner voice kind of gets off track, how dysfunctional your life can really be. Uh, not only just in the business world, but also in the personal world, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he had, he had told me, you know, um, you know, he, he, to cope, he started drinking, you know, alcohol, right. And there was one of those things and and he took on a new position within a new company and got ownership of the company. And he's, he's one of those consummate one percenters who were like, oh, well, we're going to just, you know, 10 million in our first year from zero. Right. And, and he, he made it, pretty much halfway there in the first year, which is, wow. uh, you know, not bad for, for start starting process. And, you know, he's going to hit the 10 million target, but, you know, he just told me he felt so down because he's so used to, you know, being like a number one guy on stage for Tony Robbins and, you know, selling billion dollar corporations, consulting projects and, you know, in, in, in working with, you know, 150, 200 clients that he's worked with prior to this job mm. and everything was going great. <laughs> but it, that's how quick we can kind of get disjointed from that process. And so what happens is, you know, as he said, you know, I started like questioning my own abilities, like, yeah. you know, because why couldn't why couldn't I get it there? And a lot of this always stems back to childhood. So, you know, even if we have a long stretch, and I think we talked about this on the last podcast, where if we have, even if we have a supportive environment or a non-supportive environment, we adapt things from childhood and then we carry them. And then we get into situations in our adulthood, mm. sometimes in our childhood too, but usually in adulthood where it's like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> what happened? Right. And so we tend to then start drawing from the past or drawing from the future and it's not usually happy memories. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, you know, well, yeah, geez, this time, it, it reminds me of that time that I didn't do, you know, whatever I should have done. And so we draw from there. And when we do that, we're now going to start creating doubt because ultimately all fear, which that is, yeah. anxiety is a fear. People don't want to call it that, but really yeah. it's a fear, um, which is a future tense, yeah. living too far in the future but all fear is really rooted in anger. Mm. And so when somebody doesn't recognize what that they're angry at, then it's even more confusing. So, you know, that's, it's, 
it happens. And so the top of mind thing, Darren, is it happens to almost every human being on this planet, no matter what level they're at. Yeah. You know, I don't know Jeff Bezos personally, like yeah. to know him. I think he's probably a pretty good guy. Um, but, you know, he went through a divorce. Yeah. And then his wife was given away, his ex-wife given away all kinds of money. And I just heard she was going through another divorce. So, you know, it's, it's no matter what level somebody's on, something's going to happen. You could be in a business together with somebody and somebody's stealing money and you don't realize it. And then, you know, you didn't pay your taxes because they stole the money. <laughs> <It's> yeah. like, <laughs> you got you got to kind of figure it out from there. Um, but a lot of those lessons are actually lessons to, um, to help us grow really when it comes down to it. Absolutely. uh, My wife and I were just talking in the vehicle and she was talking about the, the, the girls and, you know, because they're at an age where it's like, they're doing great, but they're trying to figure their way out in the world on what they're, you know, not what they're meant to do, but how do I monetize all this? Right. That type of thing, even though they got a father that teaches them, you know, I'm still their father. Right. So they're listening to me a little bit more as it goes along, but um, it's, it's, uh, and I said to her, I said, don't worry about it. Yeah. Because all of this is just goes away one day. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in your twenties, you may not know what you want to do. Yeah. But society says you're a loser. You should know what you're going to do. Right. But when we're in our twenties, you're not supposed to really, you're supposed to have fun and explore and figure things out and you'll make mistakes. You know, that's okay. And mm-hmm. your thirties, you'll do some of that. In the forties, you'll do some of that. In your fifties, you'll do some of that. I know people in their eighties who, you know, put stuff into a new business idea and it goes, and you know, and they're like, Oh my God, I just <laughs> lost you know, $3.2 million. Oh but, man. You know, but they recover, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and, and the end point is, you know, the end point for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So take risks, calculated risks, and and don't worry about. And if you're having challenges with the past or the present or whatever, you know, reach out to us. We'll help you. You know, yeah. that, it's not that big of a deal, really, when it comes down to it. It's a really good. Uh, it's a really good point you make. And as you were talking about that and talking about um, the guy that was hoping to get ten million, but he's hit five. A lot of people will look at that and say, "Well, that's a failure, right? You haven't achieved." Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and as sales leaders in particular, often we're placed under so much pressure to focus so much on the, on the number and, right. a, and a 5 million achievement from zero on a $10 million expectation would be considered to be poor performance. But Correct. when you look at it in context, it's actually extraordinary because that is very rare that it happens. And so when you point to the fact that, hey, a lot of this comes from, from childhood and anger and, and almost we're pretty much, I reckon, to a person told how we need to be based on the people who influence us when we're in those right. formative years to the point where we then become, in many cases, dysfunctional adults who always focus on, I've got to get this outcome because if I don't get this outcome, then I won't be quote-unquote successful. And if I'm not successful, then that points to my identity. People won't like me. People won't love me. I won't belong. Except, and this is a flow-on effect. Yep. Isn't yep. that interesting? Absolutely. And, and, and the reality is that it's all made up in our heads and we create a meaning for it. And that meaning we give some credence to called values and beliefs. Yes. <laughs> and so 
the reality is you can change your meaning of things at any time. And I'll, you know, this may not be a great example, but you know, you may have had a special someone in your life. Those of us who are listening, I know I have, and the relationship didn't work out. The other person didn't want it. You didn't want it, whatever. But when you came into that relationship, you had a, you had a meaning to that relationship in the beginning. You had all this like, wow, this is new and amazing. This is, yeah. this could be long-term and it could be amazing. And, you know, we could have family and all this stuff together. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you find out, you know, the other person brushes their teeth with gasoline or something. <laughs> and <laughs> you're like, I don't want to, I can't take that. I can't kiss that over and over and over, you know, that type of thing. So over time you split up and then over time you think about that person and the meaning's not the same. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes you can't even feel the original meaning that you gave it. And so this is how, what we do to ourselves and what we can do to ourselves. We can give a meaning that says, Oh, I'm a loser. Yeah. I screwed it up. You know, look, I did that five times. And, or you can say to yourself, okay, I messed up. Five yeah. times, six times the charm. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you can, you can do whatever and give the meaning or I learn new things so I won't have to mess it up again. Yeah. Right. So that's really, I find what people do there as they, they, they take, and I always tell people, watch out for your labels. Mm. Yes. Cause it's one thing to say, I did something stupid. It's another thing to take that label and say, I'm stupid, write it right. on the label and then pin it on our chest. That's it. Because those labels stick. Yeah. And the cool thing about labels, you can pull them off. <laughs> you can, you can. The other part of that, if I can add to it, is be also conscious of the people who are, I guess, you, well, they're in your inner circle, yeah. right? Who also allocate a label to you as well. Mm -hmm. And so that, that for many people can have an even bigger impact than the label that we give ourselves because we want people to like us. We want to be respected. We want to be long. We see people as a mentor and this can happen with parents or mentors in the personal life, but also in the business life. And yeah. if somebody says you're stupid, you're incompetent, almost I have to, if I'm respecting that person, I must almost take that on board before I can dispel it and dismiss it. Right. And, and, this, and the sad part for us human beings is, in order for us to believe it, we actually believe a part of it. Yes. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble Yeah, because we now put the label on ourselves. So we take the label they stuck on us and we go, oh yeah, let me put, sign it, you know, and we, we, we put our signature on it and that's self-inflicted. Yeah. And what happens is when people put those labels on us, and we accept them for a long period of time, even though we know we never should have signed that label. That's when the anger sets in mm. because we didn't speak up. We weren't, you know, uh, strong enough or confident enough at that point. We didn't want, you know, mom, dad to reject us or whoever it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, then what we do is we recreate that process throughout our lives with other people mm. in other situations. And that's where we get more anger going because now we're angry at the, the source. We're angry that we keep doing it. We're angry and, we, and a lot of finger pointing, blaming, judging goes on. And ultimately, 
it's self-created, but we don't want to look at that because then we have to be angry with ourselves. <laughs> and for some, some of us, that means we have to look in the mirror and we may not necessarily like the reflection that we see because we have to then confront the fact that it's me that's created this because we are meaning-making machines, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we give the meaning to anything. I mean, and, you know, if you, if you think of anything, you know, like we say salesperson, right? You know, what, what first word comes to your mind? You ask people that question, you'll get a myriad of different answers mm. all the way from, you know, sleazy person to helpful person, right? Yeah. So we put the labels on, people try to put them on us. Be careful if we let them stick. And, um, you know, if we do, we, 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 we own them at that point. Now, again, we can take labels off. We can always change. Yeah. And you see this in, you know, you know, uh, movies a lot, right. Where the, the, the character is the, you know, getting the victim and then turns out to be the victor. Yes. Rocky, Rocky, the movie Rocky. That was, you know, like, you know, couldn't speak very well, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, and uh, you know, (laughs) it's just that hard punching guy from, you know, Philadelphia, which is a, can be a, a got some rough parts to the city in, in Pennsylvania here in the United States, but we all, we were all striving for Rocky. We all were in his oh, corner, yeah. like right? <laughs> knock down Apollo Creed, you know, like just knock him down. Right. And there was a famous thing in the movie was when Rocky walked into a scene where they spelt his name wrong on the billing. And he said, Hey, you spelt my name wrong. And they go, well, just come have a good fight. Rocky went home to Adrian and said, I can't beat Apollo Creed, but if I go the distance with him, I'm a winner. Yeah. And that's what happened at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we want to do as human beings, but it takes courage to do that. Mm. And so we have to find that courage. And sometimes we, we have trouble giving it to ourselves and we just need help, Mm. but people are, especially men. Well, I shouldn't say it just that way. Women too, they think if I don't get myself out of this because I got myself into this, I'm weak. Yeah. And the, you know, what I say to people is, look, there were certain things that have been created that needed a, other team members in order to create it. You look at any, uh, I don't know, what's a famous building in, in, in Australia or, or, you know, whatever. Oh, well, the, the one in uh, like in Sydney would be the Sydney Opera House, for example. Yeah, right? yeah, the one right on the water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 One, one guy or one woman didn't build that. That was a team of people, right? And so, you know, we all have our specialty. And so when we get into this emotional thing, you know, it, it might you might need a community mm-hmm. in order to help, but you certainly need other people who understand how to help us untangle the, yeah. the the ropey mess that we've put together in our own lives. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I love it when it happens because there's breakthroughs. I, I have I have a I have a client I'm coaching through right now. And my gosh, the the transformation is just like night and day. And um on his personal level, this man's been not dating for over 12 years. Wow. And finally, we're making some breakthroughs. And he sent me something the other day. He's like, you know, I walked into the store and this woman was staring at me. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is the first no, time I'm- in tw- 12 years you recognize that a woman was actually staring at you with intent of, hey, wow. you're, you're kind of, you know, cute. 
So, <laughs> but that's how blocked up people can get, right? They just, that's it. right. I mean, what, <laughs> I could joke with them. What's she supposed to do? Like run past you with no clothes and wave a flag and a, and a, and a banner saying, Hey, I want to go out with you. I mean, what, what do you want from her? Right. Yeah, like, He's like, I just never really paid attention. I said, you paid attention. You just you just gave it a meaning so you didn't see. That's it. Because we see what we want to see. Yeah, my, 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 yeah my wife was <laughs> we were at, at the gym prior to this. Um, and my wife told me she's going back through some of my uh, old uh, older footage with some of the videos, like when I was on stage, because we're creating some stuff. And she said, I, you know, I married a handsome man, right? And I said, do I know him? <laughs> <laughs> now, what did she, she say to that? She didn't take it well. I, <laughs> she goes, you don't think you're handsome? I go, I said, I, I can say what I'm going to say. She goes, say it. I said, I'm handsome plus. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but isn't that kind of a healthy attitude to think that you are attractive? Even if, even if, you know, you, you, Others may not think you're not attractive, but there's Absolutely. a certain amount of people that will think you're attractive, even if others don't think you're attractive. Correct. Correct. And I say this all the time when I'm running workshops. I say there'll be a certain percentage of the of the people in this room who are potentially not going to resonate with me, but there'll be a certain right. percentage in the room who will. And as a facilitator, and this is particularly when I'm if I'm teaching other trainers or other facilitators to do what I do, I say I've got to be okay with that. Right, I can't. I can't try. I'm not here to try to convince you to like me. And if you think about what we do in sales, there are so many salespeople who believe that. I guess the number of customers is finite. The number of opportunities is finite. So when I've got a live customer in front of me, I've got to do everything in my power to try and convince this person in front of me that I'm likable, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm respected, that I've got something to offer. Therefore, I put pressure on myself to have to get a perfect outcome. Right. Versus if I say, you know what, whether you like me or not, I can't control that. The only thing I control is who I am, what I stand for, and what I believe to be true. And that will come across and it will resonate with you or it won't resonate with you. And that's okay. So all the people who are sales leaders, all the people who are selling, who are, you know, aspiring to be in the 1%, I'm going to give you a little secret. This is a little secret you only hear on the Darren Mitchell podcast. Uh, it's a little secret. And here's your little secret. The amount of prospects or potential buyers will become finite when people stop having children. <laughs> okay. That, that's when it'll become finite. Love it. So it will never become finite because there's, <laughs> there's no way people are not going to have children, right? So, <laughs> but the challenge is the people who are saying that, Darren, are giving the meaning to there's only a finite number of people. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> my friend, Dave Anderson, <laughs> I remember he was saying to me one day, he goes, there's no good women out there. I'm like, no good women, Dave. He goes, no, I, I, I said, no good women. You just haven't found them. He goes, there just can't be any good women. I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, Dave, <laughs> out of the billions, whatever of people on this earth, let's just say it's 50, 50. I don't know what the odds are out of, let's just say just in the Boston Metro area, there's like 
6 million people. So there's 3 million people that are likely women. Now in your age group, let's break it down. Let's say there's only 400,000 women. Out of 400,000 women, there's not one good one. <laughs> he said to me, he goes, how do I find her? <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is a sales lesson, right? So Dave was a sales guy and he was a good sales guy. He's like, how do I find her? I said, Dave, write down what you want. That's it. What's your ideal client profile? What's your ideal buyer? And he said, geez, I never did that exercise. I said, well, let's do it. So he wrote down, he said, I want somebody who has at least a master's degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want somebody who likes uh, you know, religious studies because I'm a church going guy. Uh, I want some woman who has you know, really good ethics. And, um, and what else did he say? He goes, oh, and I like her to be at least you know, five foot four because of my height. Um, and I'd like to have dark hair. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm like, okay, anything else? He goes, well, I'll probably come up with a few other things. So I said, here's what I heard. You want a well-educated woman. You want a woman who has some biblical or religious, um, you want somebody who's been brought up with, with kind of, you know, what we would call old school values, Yep. you know, and dark hair and at least five foot four. Right. I said, tell me where you're looking. He goes, well, I go out to the bars. <laughs> I'm like, the bars. Why would you go out to the pub and the bar? Like Dave, you want somebody who has a master's degree or above, who is highly got high ethics, probably doesn't drink, and and she is, you know, religious and old school ethics. Why would she be in a bar when some guy's gonna be hanging all over her drunk? She he's he goes, Well, where do you think I ought to go? I said, let's look at any school that has religious studies, that has a master's degree, find out when they're running a mixer or a club, go to those places, That's it. Dad, go to a church social. <laughs> what does he do? He does it. And the reason I'm bringing this up, Darren, is because this is analogous to what people do in selling, right? Yeah. He goes to a church mixer, I think that's what they call it, and a, and a social at uh, the college. The same girl was there in both of these things. And four years later, he was still with her. Wow. Right? Because Dave was limiting his infinite possibilities in the bar. <laughs> right? And so when he got really clear on his target ideal profile, his target buyer, then we had to work on his messaging because that was terrible too, but we worked on his messaging. <laughs> and, and then the ideal buyer was there, his messaging was congruent and he ended up with the love of his life. There you go. Now, here's my question. Out of all the other 399,999 women, do we think there's probably another 10 that Dave would have been happy with? Probably, probably a, a, a thousand that Dave oh, would have been happy with. Yeah. Right. But I got to run out of prospects, brother. I can't get prospects. Well, widen your search criteria and stop going to bars. Start going to where they're going to be hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is basic, but I, like, I run across this all the time. Isn't it? So it's so logical. And but you hear the you hear the conversation all the time. And I, I used to work for a company where you had 
sales teams that were competing against each other for new business yeah. prospects. And so they would put a ring fence around certain businesses or certain industries and say, no, you can't touch that because that's in my patch. They're not allowed to go there. Even if you knew somebody who was the chief technology officer, for example, in an organization, if it wasn't in my patch, you couldn't get access to them. So it was protectionism. That is ridiculous. That is making the meaning of there is only a finite number of opportunities and therefore I have to keep them close to me because if I open them up to others, yeah, then that means there's less for me. Well, that from the sales perspective and from the sales management or leadership perspective, if they're doing that, that's crazy. Totally. Crazy, totally. okay? I mean, if my, my brother, let's say my brother, who was an executive amongst you know, large companies, which he was, you know, um, if my brother was at, I don't know, pick a company, you know, any IBM, you know, whatever, right? And he was the gent who made the decisions for all of the, uh, all of the decisions that my company wanted, but they want to send in Ralph, yep. who's, and, you know, my brother doesn't know from anywhere. My brother's going to turn them down. So they don't get the account anyways. Yeah. But I could just walk in there and go, hey, bud, <laughs> you know, That's it. what are we doing? What are we doing for Christmas this year or whatever? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and, it, and he will literally say to me, what, what's the digs? And I'd say, here's the numbers. He goes, oh, that looks good. I go, what do you want me to do next? He's like, sign my name. I don't care. Whatever. Right. That's that. That's what happens. Right. So yeah. the deal goes down. We get a, you know, 40 million dollar deal or whatever. But, oh, so sales leadership wants to block that because we have standard or salespeople don't want to shit. That's ridiculous. It is. It is. But it happens. And it still happens today. So uh, sales leaders, one of the biggest mistakes I see them make in companies is they feed the weak. Yes. Yes. And that is called creating mediocrity and complacency within an organization. You don't feed the weak. You give the best leads to the strongest people and you force the weak to have to build their skills, their mindset and all of that in order to qualify to get that. Mm. And then every year we eliminate the bottom 15% and we take our highest producer and we say, this is our lowest standard. Yep. Anyone who owns a company, you do this two years, three years, four years over at all. Um, send Darren a very large check because your revenues are going to go right through the roof. It's a phenomenal approach. And yet what the most, and I, I was talking to, to a group of people last week about this and we're talking about the 80, 20 rule, the yep. Pareto principle. And I said, if you look at your, if you look at the results, whether it be the effort you get, the results you get as an, as an enterprise, as a team, as a salesperson, as a sales leader, 80% of your result, results will typically come from 20% of the people and 20% of your effort individually. And one of the things that I made a mistake of early in my sales leadership career was spending 80% of my time with 80% of the people who were generating 20% yep. of the results. And as you're saying, almost feeding the weak, trying to implore them, trying to help them, trying to coach them. I had the right yeah. intentions to try and lift them up. But all yeah. the while, the 20% that were generating the 80% were thinking, hang on a second, I'm not getting any recognition i'm not getting any time from my sales leader do they not care about me and what started to happen they started to plateau their performance yeah so 
I, I started to think, no, I've got to, similar to what you're saying, I've almost got to get these guys who are not performing at the level that we know we're capable, they're capable of. I've got to get them to almost uh, demand more time of me through increasing the level of effort, not expect me to come and feed them. Yeah. Almost, you've got to justify to me why I'm going to spend time with you because I'm going to spend time over here with the people who are generating the revenue, who are doing the things that we know will get those results because that's what's going to continue to furnish the business and grow. So, so sales in general, people, for some reason, like if we look at a professional, what we, you would call football, right? We would call soccer. Yeah. <clears throat> you better know how to run down the field with that ball. <laughs> if it's taken away from you every single time, you will not be on that field for a mm. long period of time. They're not going to pay millions and millions of dollars to, to somebody who's going to turn the ball over to the competitor so they can go in and, and score and we lose, right? That, that's, we all understand that. Yeah. But for some reason, a lot of sales leaders and a lot of sales people in general, they're okay with half their team producing and half of them are not. Or 70% or using the Pareto principle, 80% yeah. are producing, 20% are not, but we'll keep the 20% here anyways. It's yeah. like, you wouldn't do it in professional sport. I mean, let's think about this. If we had airline pilots that safely land our planes, I don't know, 80% of the time, <laughs> only crash 20 of them out of 100, I don't think we tolerate that metric. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. If, if, we had a, if we had a surgeon who out of, I don't know, 100 procedures, 20 people died and 80 made it, I don't think we, would, we wouldn't go, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's go to Dr. Smith and see how he does today. We, we probably <laughs> wouldn't do that. But for some reason, sales leaders do this. It, co company owners do this. And salespeople themselves do this. Hmm. They're like, oh, you know what? I didn't hit, I didn't hit my numbers you know, two months in a row. That's okay. You know? No, 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 no. Because what you're doing is you're creating mediocrity. And, you'll, and one will never get to the 1% with that thought process. Absolutely. And it's just not going to happen. And look, just on that, we know that in all probability, not every salesperson will get to, and that's reality. They won't get to, not everyone's going to get to the 1%, right? But right. it doesn't mean they're not capable of doing it. There'll be a lot of things that pretend, and maybe it's the stuff we've already talked about today in terms of the fact that we're, we're allocating meaning and what the label is that we give ourselves to say, well, I've never, I've never known anybody within my family who's done this or, I don't know anybody in my business environment who's done this. So who am I? Right. Because I don't have the background, the experience. I don't know the people. So I could never be like that. All of this goes into the melting pot to say, well, okay, whatever you think is going to be true will be true if you believe right. that. And you'll actually build the strategies that will support that belief system. So then yeah. you end up not getting to the 1%, but it's possible. It's it's not only possible, it's probable, Darren, if they really, truly want it. And the reality is, this goes back to, let's start with the quality of life we want to lead first, right? Mm. And then build our business plan around it versus yeah. the other way around. Because most people like the idea of, oh, wow, I have unlimited wealth or I have unlimited this, but they don't really want it. Mm. What they really want, what most people want is, okay, you know, I can go to that, that football game. I don't know what it costs in Australia, but, you know, in the United States- Games are pretty pricey. I can go there and let's let's take uh, like Boston Bruins tickets, which are my hockey team. Yeah. Uh, 
Boston, if you're listening, the Bruins, your ticket prices are ridiculous. So <laughs> to take a family of four and have a nice time at a Boston Bruins game, it's somewhere between $2,000 and $2,500. Wow. US. Just for the game. Just wow. for the game. You know, to have really nice seats and all of that stuff. So, um, but that's what they want to do. They want to go, geez, you know, I'd like to go to a Bruins game once a month or once a week or whatever. And I don't want to worry about that kind of cash because I got it. Yeah. You know, hey, I need a new car. Okay, let me go get a new car. I'm not like, oh my gosh, if I go get a new car, my kid can't eat this week, you know, or I can't send them to private school because I want to do that too. We just want a quality of life and everyone has their own quality of life that they seek. Yeah. Uh, you know, good, good friend and mentor of mine, Alan Weiss said, Doug, everyone has, uh, someone always has a bigger boat and somebody always wants a bigger or smaller boat. It's just the way it is. Yes. And so we have to determine what size boat we want and be very truthful and clear on that. Then what we look at is we say, okay, if I got to get that kind of money, I got to build a plan to get that kind of money. And then I'm going to tell people and they're going to yell at me, add an extra 10% to that number. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, quota is not even in the, in the game. Right? Like quotas, quota is, it's a number. It's, it's, a, it's a baseline that people yeah. say. Yeah. Right? But the reality is, we shouldn't be thinking about it. We should be thinking about what we want to ha hit. Now, if that number absolutely is just on quota, great. Company's yep. going to be happy. You're going to be happy. Everyone's winning. If that number's over quota, forget yeah. about quota because quota doesn't mean anything. If it's below quota, go find a new job. <laughs> right? Because we're not playing win-win with the company at that point, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's real straightforward. <laughs> Well, it's as we as we're talking, it's 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 it is so logical, and yet we know that we are emotional beings, and and we let our emotions almost, in some cases, dictate the actions that we take, and logic seems to be pushed to the side. So it's um it's a fast it's a fascinating study. What I am intrigued about because I know that you've got a background also in um working with Tony Robbins's companies, um, yeah. independent president of sales and training. Mm -hmm. Just all the stuff we've been talking about, how much of how much of that environment has really influenced you into the work you're doing now, CEO sales strategies, or did you already have that coming in and, and it just sort of amplified what you already knew to be true? Because working uh, for a guy like, because if you look at the, the top one percenters and there's lots of people in the preferred personal development, yeah. well, I guess Tony Robbins is considered to be the, you know, for of a better term. Now, I know he doesn't call himself a guru, but he's placed up there as a guru. But all the stuff he talks about is so fundamental, which is just phenomenal. So what, yeah. what was your take on that? And what did you learn from that that you now can apply or that you already knew, but it just reconfirmed for you, which has enabled you to go on and do what you do now? Yeah. So firstly, Tony is one of the best salespeople on the planet. And that's one thing I learned. Yeah. Okay. If you watch Tony from the stage, he's selling. Yeah. You don't realize he's selling, but he's selling. And, uh, he, and he's phenomenal at doing this. So I used to study what he would do on stage. And I would incorporate that into some of the web trainings we did and stage work that, you know, I would be fortunate enough to get on in just an everyday conversation. 
Um, Tony has this amazing ability that if somebody comes in top down, Tony can go to the bottom, gain trust and respect, then go top down on the other guy, you know, emotionally. And the other guy loves him for it. Right. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how he does it. So I learned that if you want to, you know, like I I knew leverage in, in, in selling, but when you work with a guy like Tony Robbins, um, you're not going to come in at third string, fourth string, you know, you're going to play it at number one string or, or you might make it at two, but you're going to get kind of pushed somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, um, I learned a tremendous amount from one thing that I always kept with Tony. Uh, and I'm so grateful he brought this out. He calls it Kanai constant and never ending improvement. So, because Tony realizes based on my experience working, you know, with him, he realizes that everything is dynamic. It's always yeah. flowing. It's always changing. So we always have to get better. And the more we get, you know, elevated in our own personal development, skill development, you know, you name whatever development, yeah. the better we handle alterations in markets because we can pivot quicker. Mm. So that was one thing that I, that I learned from Tony. The other thing is, is, is promotion. One of the reasons people know Tony so well is he's a great promoter. He's not average. He's not, he's the one percenter yeah. in promotion. Tony yeah. knows how and mm-hmm. does. That's the third thing I think I learned from him. It's about taking action. Yeah. Doesn't have to be perfect. You take action and you follow through with what you say, mm-hmm. no matter what, even if you, even if you get like Tony, I remember Tony telling a story one time that when he was first starting out, he wanted to do a, um, an event in Canada. So he did, he was trying to do one in Washington state and then over the border. And, um, he didn't know anything back then. Right. As far as like, you didn't need licensing or whatever. He didn't know this. So he goes and sells this place out in, in, in Canada. And then uh, as he's trying to go and set up, the authorities come and say, you have no license to run this event. And Tony's like, well, all right, I'll get the license. And they're like, no, you can't. (laughs) So he's got all these people and other people going, well, Tony, we're going to have to cancel the event. And Tony's like, heck no, we are not canceling the event. So what they did was they rented all kinds of buses in the United States, drove to Canada, picked the people up, brought them back to a venue in the United States, did the <laughs> event, and then brought people home. <laughs> right? That's commitment. We've got to have commitment to excellence. Yes. That's commitment to excellence. Yeah, I learned a lot from Tony. Tony's a really good guy. I, I um I, you know, I've always respected him even before I knew him. Uh, I, I respected him. And, um, you know, cause he, he came up the way that people he came up like Rocky. Mm. You know what I mean? He, he got his, he got hit, knocked down, got back up, you know? And, uh, you know, and he had yo Adrian at the time too, you know? So that yeah. was helpful too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I learned, I learned a lot from him. And how much of, how much of that, um, that experience is into not so much who you've become, but as it help help shape you into yeah. what you do now. Because you know, you talk about him espousing, and I and I fully believe this as well: the constant and never ending improvement, but always looking at how we can get better. Because I reckon, as particularly as sales leaders, you never arrive. There's always another level to get to. So, 
how much of that has now been instilled in you that you're now paying for to everybody? So all of the CEOs and the entrepreneurs you're working with, um, they they get maybe they get a little bit of Tony Robbins in you, or they get some of the key principles that are ageless, ageless that is going to help them. And the ripple effect, the butterfly effect is going to be incredible. Always. From every person I've ever studied with, you know, I take certain things, right? So Chad Holmes was one of them. Yeah. Uh, Tony's was another. Russ Whitney. Uh, Russ owned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a bunch of other companies. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, Alan Weiss, you know, uh, Andy Miller, Tommy mm. Schaff. I mean, I can, the list goes on and on and on. And a little bit of this, a little bit of that you know, fits into the model. And I pull like I, I when I am on video, uh, web trainings, or whatever, I'm very animated, like Tony. Yeah. And yep. the reason I'm very animated like that is because people pay attention. Yes. Right. So, you know, you can give information, you can be entertainer, but you want to be in the middle. Yes. And that's what Tony is. Yeah. From, from what I can see. So, you know, I take I take a lot of that um, and I take, you know, phrases and statements that people have said to me that make total sense. And I'll sit and figure out how do I make that a little better phrase? And then I'll give credit. I'll say, I learned this from Mr. Russ Whitney. Yeah. He said this, yeah. I believe this, but I add this, right? Yeah. And so, so the other part of doing that, Darren, is you get the credibility from, say, Tony Robbins when you quote him. And then you got your own. So it's like, now you kind of like are at that peer level. Yeah. So people would believe in that peer level. So there's a, there's a methodology and psychology to it, but I mean, you know, uh, all, everyone I've ever studied with, even people who aren't famous and there's been a lot of them, um, you know, clients, I learn a lot from clients. I'm sure, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, when you're working with people, Absolutely. sometimes you're like, wow, that's brilliant. I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. But now I got it. And so you add that to your body of knowledge. Um, and that's in every, every field, whether it was, uh, you know, business to business or, you know, the music business, like we talked about earlier, um, you and I, when we were talking, I, oh, I heard a really good stat and I looked it up. Yep. It's 62% or 63, 62 or 63% of all people selling have some level of, um, mental health issues. Sixty-three <laughs> percent of all people. I think it was sixty-two or sixty-three percent. Yeah, I can I can look it up and get the, get the study. But it was a reputable it was a reputable place, and I was like, so I hadn't had a chance to check the data out in full. But I, what what hit me originally was like, wow, why so low? Like I I thought it'd be higher than that. Yeah. Like all human beings have a little bit of mental instability and in capacity, right? Absolutely. So it's like, um, I don't know how they categorize it. I'm going to go find the study and look it up again. But um, so the reason I say that is anybody's listening to this and they go, oh, I'm a little off or I'm a little broken or whatever. Yeah, welcome to the club. That's it's it. called the human race, right? We, I mean, we all are. We are all um, dysfunctional in some <laughs> So with with that, if and, and people are going to be listening to this and saying, oh, that's fantastic. You, you know, you're speaking to somebody who's worked with Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes and Russ Whitney and all these famous people, I could never be like that. It's and I wanted to I wanted to pivot because I know part of part of your background is you have also sold musical equipment to some big rock bands yeah. in the um in the world. 
right? Yeah. And there's lots of there's lots that we can. And if you're a person who is an avid learner and a voracious have a voracious appetite for learning, there's always opportunities to learn something new. From a selling perspective, um, how was it? How was that experience? And and because some people would think also there's this starstruck element to it. Now, I don't know whether you were selling directly to the band or through their through their people or whatever the case might be, but having to get over, and we talked about this mental, uh, this mental blockage that sometimes have we have and the labels we place on ourselves, how hard or difficult was it for you or not to actually go in and sell to a big name or to a big band? And did you have to get over anything in order to do that? Or was it just, you know what? I know exactly who my ideal customer is. I know exactly what I've got to offer. I'm going to be trustworthy. And as you said about Tony Robbins, I'm going to build from the ground up and then influence it from top down. Well, I'll I'll get to, I'll, I'll answer that question, but I want to just step back when you said, oh, well, people think, well, you know, you've got all these accolades and stuff like that. You'll never, I can never be that. And the reality is you're absolutely right. With that frame of mind, you'll never get there. Yeah. So I'm going to tell how I met Tony Robbins the first time. <clears throat> so I won a sales award for, for a company. Um, I saw this big deal and honestly, it just kind of fell into my lap and they were like, my gosh, you know, you got to come to the Biltmore hotel in Arizona and uh, we're giving away our Mercedes and this, and there's only going to be like you know, 150 people in the room. And we want you to come here. We'll pay for everything because the deal was really big. Yeah. And, and I was like, Biltmore Hotel. It's winter time. I get to go to Arizona. It's warm. Yeah, I'm in. Right? <laughs> Pick my. You know, maybe, maybe I'll drive a Mercedes back home. That's what I was thinking. You know, of course, I know. You know, my spouse would have probably got it by the time I get you know out of it. But the, the the reality is, is so I went, and I didn't know, but Tony Robbins was the guest speaker. Wow. Yeah, they hired him. I think they paid him like two hundred thousand dollars to come oh. speak for like. I, I, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes, whatever Tony did. I don't know. Right. <clears throat> and I had, I had bought Tony's personal power to um, like cassettes. <laughs> right. And I listened to him and I remember Tony saying on the first thing, like 97% or whatever the number was, people never finish these. And I said to myself, that's not me. Mm. So I finished it and I, and I finished the program and I put it to play and I actually got very good results. So I was already a, a fan of Tony Robbins, <clears throat> but here he comes out and I'm in the third row and there's only like 30 people and I can almost touch Tony Robbins, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm starstruck, right? <laughs> and, and all I wanted to do was to just talk to Tony and, and tell him how, you know, his material has impacted my life. I just wanted to thank him. Yeah. So Tony gets done and he goes, see you guys. And he starts to walk off the stage. I start to make my way out of the aisle to go see Tony Robbins, but Tony's got like a big bodyguards that are escorting him out, you know? And I'm like, there's no way I'm getting through this brick wall of men. I mean, it's not happening. Right. So the second speaker comes on and his name was Harvey McKay. He wrote a book called swim with the sharks. Yeah. This is what I want to illustrate to people. So Harvey spoke and I was like, that's fantastic. He had all this great stuff. And I had a couple of questions. So he doesn't get whisked off the stage by his big gorilla guys. He, he has himself. <clears throat> so 
I walk up to him and I go, Mr. McKay, my name is Doug Brown. And I found what you said, you know, inspirational. And I, in particular, this part here, I had a couple of questions. May I ask you a couple of questions? Okay. Yeah. He looks at me and he goes, son, I'll tell you what, I got to catch my limo. You carry my bag and I'll talk to you about anything. (laughs) Now, the reason I'm telling this story, (laughs) I'm sweating a little bit here. The reason I'm telling this story is because I walked with him back to his limousine and I asked some questions and we got talking and I'm like, this is like the best-selling author at the time. You know, he's in every bookstore you can ever imagine. So I got talking with him and he was a regular person. Yeah. And I asked him a couple of questions. He said, very good question. You're a smart kid. Yeah. And I said, well, thanks. I appreciate that, Mr. McKay. He goes, you know what? Call my assistant. Here's her number. Yeah. And tell her this is, you know, set up some follow-up stuff that, you know, we can kind of, and I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, pinch me. Right. And so I leave that, I drop him off and I'm, I, I call back my spouse and I'm saying, listen, Tony Robbins was here and I missed him. And she goes, Oh, that's too bad. I said, but I met this guy, Harvey McKay. He's so cool. He has a hundred million dollar you know, company. We talked about this and that. And I'm walking through the courtyard of the Biltmore Hotel and I'm speaking to my spouse and I go, you'll never guess who's sitting in the courtyard. (laughs) Tony Robbins. He's drinking some water and he's got a guy at the table with him and they're laughing. And I'm like, Tony Robbins is in the courtyard. She literally goes, see ya. So I walked up there and I said to him, I said, I'm Mr. Robbins. He goes, I'm Tony. I said, Tony, I said, I'm Doug. I said, can I tell you my story of what happened when I, you know, went through your personal power thing? He said, sure. So I said, I tell him a story. It's like, you know, a minute. And he goes, that's fascinating. He goes, hey, this is my buddy. You know, I can't remember what he said, you know, Russell or whatever from college. I didn't know he was here. We just found each other and uh, we're having a beverage. He goes, you want to join us? (laughs) All right. So now I'm with Tony Robbins. I think it was Russell. And I'm sitting there and we're all talking like guy talk and talk. And like, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a real person. He's like a real dude. Like he's a, he's, he talks like my friends and all of this stuff. Right. And so I said something that made him crack up. Like I love humor. So, you know, I try to use a little humor. So I used a little humor, Tony, and he, he just laughed. And I swear to you, Darren, he, he laughed and he swung his arm around and he hit me on the shoulder. Right. Now, Tony is a huge man. He's a big guy. He's huge. Like if you look at the Guinness World Book of Records and you see the tallest man and the shortest man, I'd be the shortest guy. He'd be the tallest guy, right? (laughs) He's that big. And so I'm a guy. And so I go, oh, that's so funny, Tony. And I go and I slap him in his shoulder, you know, just like he did me. And when I hit him, it went thud. It was like, oh my God, this guy, his shoulder is bigger than my thigh, you know? And we had a really grand time. And he said to me, Doug, you know what? You seem like a great guy. Why don't you come to one of my events coming up as my guest? Wow. I did. Now, here's the point. 
if I didn't have the courage to walk up to Tony Robbins, I didn't have, I didn't have the courage to walk up to Harvey McKay. I would have never had those relationships. Now, fast forward. Tony gives me his assistant's number. Yeah. I call her. She sets me up. She's so professional. So amazing. So what do I do? I send a big bouquet of flowers to her. Tell her how amazing she is and how I appreciated the help. Yeah. I'm at the Tony Robbins live event. Tony comes off stage. He sees me. He walks up to me. He goes, you, you, I know what you did. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, really? A big bouquet of flowers. (laughs) He goes, you trying to make me look bad? What are you doing, brother? You know, and, and that's how we started our relationship. I ended up working for Chet Holmes. Chet and Tony ended up coming together. And then I ended up working with Tony and Chet and then Tony when Chet died. Right. So my point being is if I didn't have the courage to step up and actually mention that. Yeah. So for everybody who's thinking I can't get there, just yeah. push yourself outside the comfort zone. That's it. So to answer your question on the, um, the, the musicians, here's what I've learned about professional musicians. Well, the, all the ones I know. Yeah. And I worked with Aerosmith, and I worked directly with the band members most of the time, okay. yeah, cool. sometimes with their manager. Like, I, I don't know if you remember an old band called new kids on the block. I worked with the yeah. manager. Yeah. Um, so we, we worked with Aerosmith, members of the Eagles, Boston, extreme Billy Joel's bands. Um, you know, the, 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 Oh, uh, it's funny. We mentioned this, Darren, I'm driving home with my wife tonight, as I mentioned, and on the, uh, she's from Poland originally. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm, I'm fascinated with the music that makes it there and doesn't make it here, you know, or makes it right. So the, uh, the Jake Isles band comes on and uh, freeze frame, uh, no freeze frame, uh, centerfold, the, the yeah. music centerfold comes yeah. on. And I'm like, do you know this song? And she goes, no. I said, I used to hang out with a guitar player, you know, Johnny. Right. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, super nice guy. Great guitar player. And I'm like, how about this song? I play freeze frame. She goes, oh, that one hit Poland. And then I play a couple more. And she's like, not that one, that one. Right. So we're going back and forth, but she's like, is there anyone you didn't work with in the music business? <laughs> and, and all I was doing was selling music equipment to pay my way through college. Okay. But here's the thing. These are regular people. Yeah. They came from most of them from no money. They made their way up through the ranks. And now they're these stars, but they're still normal, average, ready people who have wants, needs, fears, desires. They still have challenges with their kids, like every other parent might have. Yeah. You know, they, they, they still have all of these things. And so what I've learned by dealing with people who are on that level of multi-billionaires is you just got to act like them. You just got to treat them like they're one of your best friends. And it doesn't matter if it's the CEO of a major corporation. You know, if I met Bill Gates today, I would treat him just like anybody else we're talking to, Darren. And you know what? Most of the time they appreciate it because most people are pandering to them to try to get to a position. I was going to say that I'm sure there's a lot of people who, you know, you, you meet Tony Robbins in a bar and you think there's probably this expectation as to how you think he's going to behave or what he wants to see and Oh, I could never go up to him because who am I versus him and all this comparison yeah. game. But they're probably sitting there thinking, okay, I've done all this work, but if people only could know and they could only see 
that I'm just a normal person. It's yeah. like that that movie from was it Notting Hill, the Julia Roberts stands in front of Hugh Grant and says, "I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy just wanting to be loved or wanting to be liked or something like right. that." And it's it's that. So it's a it's such a it's such a powerful point. It is such a powerful point. And how many of us? And coming back to the labels we place on ourselves. How many of us put our label on ourselves? So I could never go and talk to Doug C. Brown because he's so famous. I could. Yeah, never. you know, I, I, the, the crazy part is like you know, being on podcasts like this. Sometimes people think, oh, he, he only works with super big companies or something like that, and that's not the truth, right? Yeah. The truth is, even if I can't work with somebody, I usually know somebody that can work with them. Yeah, because like I don't do everything. Yeah. You know, no matter what my ego tells me, I can't do everything, right? <laughs> so, um, and, you know, who am I? I mean, really, you know, and the thing is, is what I learned in the music business, and I think this is applicable to life. Um, I met musicians who are worldwide famous, who nobody knew anymore. Yeah. So I, I met a guy, um, his name was Bobby Hebb, still is today. He wrote a song called <laughs> so wrote a song called Sunny. Okay. All right. And it was like, you know, Sunny, yesterday, the, you know, and oh, so yeah. you might have heard the tune or not, but yeah. He won a Grammy. He backed up the Beatles. He drove a truck for a city. Yeah. Cuz he was he 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 has one hit. But what a musician. My gosh, yeah. the guy was an unbelievable guitar player. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's just a normal guy. Mm. But he won a Grammy. Right? He's he backed up the Beatles. Who can say I backed up the Beatles? Very few people, probably. Very few. Right. Yeah. So it's it's you know, I remember the guys from Kansas, the band Kansas. They once said, you know what? We treat everybody with respect because we didn't always get treated with respect. I remember the 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 owner, not the owner, the manager of New Kids on the Block. Promoters wouldn't give him the time of day. But then when New Kids on the Block came out, they all pandered to him. Yeah, I bet they did. Right. But, you know, nobody knows who he is today, yeah. except his immediate family peers and things. And yeah. this is what I want people to understand is just because they're famous today does not mean they're going to be famous six months from now or even seven years from now. Yeah. Right? There's very few people, you know, uh, who talks about Sergio and Bryn anymore with Google? Mm. Right. I'm sure they're doing fantastic things. I mean, they're smart guys, but they're, you know, they're not there. People yeah. very rarely talk about Steve Jobs. I know he's passed on, but the, yeah. come on, he was Steve Jobs. That's it. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's just one of those things that we have to realize that we're all human beings on this earth and we all bring value. So what kind of value do you bring if you're going to approach somebody like that? And don't try to be cute. Just try mm. to be you. If they, if they say no, it's fine. But you'd be surprised. A lot of them will say yes. Oh, and I'm I'm conscious of your time, Doug. So we've just we've been going just on an hour now. So um, I think that's a, that's a great way to to wrap it up because I often I often talk to sales leaders in particular who, whether they're working in big organizations or relatively smaller organizations, many of them have this, in some cases, an identity crisis, and they try to believe or they try to think they've got to be some become somebody who they're not. Right, and have to then fit into either a particular industry or a particular ecosystem, and I keep telling them time and time again, and I think you're on the same wavelength here. Is just be you, just be authentic, just be you. So, 
You're going to resonate with some and you won't resonate with others, but that's okay. Just be you. Because when you're with that over a long period of time, you don't have to look back and you can then sit at any stage in your life and look back and say, you know what? I may not have achieved the biggest. I may not have been famous. I may not have achieved a Grammy. I may not have worked with Tony Robbins, but you know what? I've actually actually delivered some great results because I was me and I didn't have to pretend to be anybody that wasn't. And I took a chance. And that's life success because when you we get older, like I'm starting to get older now, right? And and you know, when you get older, you start to reflect back on you know the dumb things you did and the good things you did, and you know, and you kind of sum it all up, but you you start to learn what life's really all about. And what life's really all about is living into who we really are Mm. and knowing that's good and and living into that every day because if we do that you know if we're always gauging against something else that something else is always moving like you know if if we're in sales and we say oh uh geez i want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it is right that'll solve all my problems well guess what when you get to a hundred your problems aren't going to be all solved it's not going to happen You, you might have a little more money to you know play in style with your problems. Yeah. But then you're going to look and go, geez, uh, let me get 150 yeah. or 200 or 250 or 350. And so then when does it end? Because if yeah. you're always chasing that as your identity, then you're never happy. And as Tony Robbins used to say, you'll arrive at your goal and go, is that all there is? That's it. And, and I remember the day it happened to me. And, and it was like, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was so, I was so afraid. Yeah. Right. And so we want to live into who we are. And I am me on podcast or off podcast. You know, I, I say things. Sometimes I say off color things that shouldn't be said. Right. My daughter's like, dad, no, please don't. I don't, I don't say that. Dad. Right? But, but at least, you know, I am me and I'm okay. If you, if a person doesn't like me, cause yeah. I like me, That's it. you know, the only ones I really want to like me is my spouse and my children. And, you know, just like in selling, you're going to ask for the sale. Yeah. Some people are going to say no. Some people are going to say yes. And some people are going to say, I'm interested. Let's continue the relationship. Yeah. And that's life. That's it. That's it. Doug, um, absolute pleasure yet again, my friend, to have a conversation. Uh, I think we should do this on a more regular basis, I reckon. I would love to. I love talking to you. I mean, it's it's yeah. awesome. I, I have a question. I don't know if I can do this or not, but I, yeah. I just, I'm putting the finishing touches on an ebook. Did I tell you about this? Uh, I think you did because I did send a note to Rebecca and she said, sent a note back this morning saying it's not quite finished yet. So, so, okay. So, but here's the thing. I got the book back today, the final book back today. And we're just now internally, we're putting some finishing touches on it. Um, Obviously, we're going to send you a book. But if you'd like to make this available to your audience, yeah. um, be, we're going to put it up for sale, most likely. But yeah, okay. for your audience, if they just send an email into you matter, Y-O-U-M-A-T-T-E-R at yeah. CEOSalesStrategies.com. Yeah. And they just write in, you know, Darren Mitchell, give me my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, man. <laughs> Mentioned because, <laughs> because because they're you know they're listening to your podcast. I mean, I'm 
in some small way, I'm trying to give back. Also, you know, I'm, I'm shamelessly promoting myself as well. Oh, absolutely. But, and I'd love to um, love to promote that. Absolutely. So have we got a, have, is it a working title? Do we have an, have yeah, an yeah. It's, it's the, uh, the nonstop, how to become a nonstop 1% earner, sales earner. So I go into the psychology and philosophy, of what makes up a 1% earner and how people can start shifting that criteria toward themselves. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be awesome. happy to give it away. Mate, so thank you. Very, very, very generous of you. Thank you. I'll, um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And um, my absolute pleasure. It's, it's, it's like, um, I mean, we've only had two conversations, but it feels like we know each other a lot more deeper than that. So yeah. Thank yeah. you for um, thank you for bringing so much value, and thank you for making it so easy to have a conversation with somebody who is um, who is very very experienced in sharing so much wisdom and gold. So greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. You know, it's funny. My my daughters were like, "I want to go to Australia sometime," and I'm like, "So I'm like, well, I'll stop in and see Darren then." Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, and our kids are at the same similar similar ages. So similar age, yeah, yeah, 22, absolutely. 23. We'll certainly so. do that. Definitely. So, Doug, uh, this this episode will be will be up um, pretty much straight away. So, people are listening to this right now. This is this is very very close to when we had this recording. So, it's uh, early June, twenty twenty three. So, Doug, um, thank you again for jumping on uh, in the evening where you are over in the states, and uh, have a fabulous finish to your week. And uh, look forward to talking to you again soon, my friend. Thanks, Darren. I really appreciate. It. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.